and Me, where we interview industry thought leaders in governance, risk, and compliance on hot topics, industry-specific challenges, trends, and more to learn about your methods, solutions, and outlook in the space. Hello, everyone, and welcome to GRC and Me. Joining me today are two experts in the risk quantification field. Rich Syerson, who is an experienced CEO, CISO, and risk management faculty member working with brands like GE, Twilio, and Lending Club. Rich is also a published author, and his books include How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk and The Metrics Manifesto, Confronting Security with Data. Joining Rich and I is Mark Tattersall, VP of Product at Logicate, who leads the team on developing Risk Cloud Quantify. And today, we all talk about risk quantifications for InsureTech. What conversations conversations are actually happening at the board level, technology that can drive greater consistency, and lastly, what inspired Rich to write his books. And now, here's our conversation with Rich and Mark. Hi, Rich. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining us on another episode of GRC and Me. Hi, Megan. Pleased as punch to be here. Hi, Megan. Likewise. Wonderful. All right. Well, let's get into the conversation today. So, Rich, we were talking offline before today's episode about the importance of risk quantification for the insurance technology space. Can you expand on that impact of risk quantification? What will it have on the insure tech for our listeners? A little background, by the way, on this topic. So my first book, which I co-authored with Doug Hubbard, it's called How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk. And I'm not here today to sell books. I, I don't make any money in books at all, unfortunately. But uh, that book, it's the only security book that has been required reading for the Society of Actuaries exam as of 2018. I don't know if it still is. And so there's a lot of relevance there to at least some of my scholarship on this topic. What I found out, though, early on, with at least with insurance, they were doing more benchmarking with companies. So they didn't have actuarial tables. They didn't have like, you know, automobile accidents going back decades. And so how insurance was doing things is they, like I was at a company at the time and they they looked at our company like, oh, you're a, you're a SaaS company. Everyone seems to wear hoodies. You're in the Bay Area. We'll look at other companies like that and kind of like do this and, you know, do that. And what they didn't, do though is so they gave us a, a, a rate that was just kind of like oh you seem you look like them we look at other 20 and you you know you look and talk and walk like them but they didn't look at the the value at risk they didn't look at the fact that we were uh, persisting a couple trillion records of PII in, in the cloud at the time and they didn't take into consideration also the strength of controls or any, anything like that really and I get it you know insurance was you know was easy relatively easy to get back then it was relatively cheap cyber insurance, that is not the case anymore, not with the advent of ransomware. So things have really changed. So the methodologies and approach from an insurance perspective were really benchmark-based. They weren't risk-based. So in, in our case, for example, where we had a lot of value at risk, the insurance company actually ended up taking on a lot more risk than they suspected. I mean, if that would have been one of the largest breaches in history, and you know, we would have quickly drained drained all the coffers of that of that money. Um, and we weren't nearly as protected as we thought we were. The insurance companies had an opportunity to make a lot more money too in the process if they would have taken into consideration the value at risk and controls, or even potentially denied insurance, which they weren't doing back in the day. I ended up buying twenty million more insurance. But uh, the bottom line is that there's a there is a need now again with the advent of ransomware, with the fact that it's just been you know. 
It's been really bad for the insurance companies who owned a lot of risk, right? Had a lot of policy out there. Um, so there's a lot of drivers that really need, they need better quantitative risk management. They need to take in consideration value at risk. They need to take into consideration control strength. Listen, you're not gonna get every jot and every tittle. You're not gonna be able to understand everything, but that's why it's called risk management. Risk management is like, hey gosh, I don't know everything, but I'm gonna make it, I'm going to make a bet. And I want to, you know, if I can beat the house, then then great. And so whatever information I can bring to bear to my decision making, I want to have. I know that's a lot of words, but this is, you know, it's it's real. It's happening now. And there's a lot of opportunity to really do better. And I, I think it's quite exciting, obviously. It was it's interesting actually, Richard, the kind of how much cyber insurance should I buy was one of the one of the things we kept hearing again and again when we were interviewing like CISOs and leaders in this space last year as we were trying to understand how we could help our customers make better risk-informed business decisions. The other key one that kind of led us down the path to actually building out risk quantification was about how to communicate risk effectively to the board. And that was really one of the pivotal things along with the kind of like how much insurance to buy that kind of led us towards building Risk Cloud Quantify. I'd really be interested in your experience and uh, how you have used risk quantification to explain and detail risk to, to the board and the decisions you're making? Sure. I'll tell you about how I thought about it and then how I'm actually thinking about it now, even most recently. So I held to the perspective that I didn't need to show the sausage factory to the E-team or to the board, you know, to audit committee, whatnot. I was doing the quant stuff. I mean, I had the skills. I knew how to do it. I was you know, pretty handy at it. So, but I didn't feel a need to go in and show a distribution or an S curve or, you know, pick your statistical poison. I didn't feel a need to go and share that with the team. Albeit most board members are more educated than and, and quantitatively savvy. I mean, listen, they, most of those folks eat, eat risk for breakfast. Right. And they know, I mean, what is that GE? Jeff ML had his undergraduate in applied maths from Dartmouth and he had a quantitative MBA from Harvard. And he's a smart guy, but he was a dumb one in the room. A lot of physicists and whatnot, if you know anything about GE's business. And, but I didn't feel a need to present quantitative data at that time. This is important to say. I was more, I was presenting decisions that we were making. And if they asked the rationale why, so it's more of a qualitative discussion. Because you don't have a lot of time to stand in front of them and what have you. I think that's changing, though. You know, and I do, I do think the appetite is definitely more on they want to see quantitative stuff. And I think there is much more of an appreciation for being able to share uncertainty. I know people are uncomfortable with that, but I think that's a reality. It's interesting. There was some research done. Is that a university, uh, Merced, other cognitive science group? They were working with NASA. And there was a problem with, I think it was in the Himalayas, with alpacas dying when it gets really cold. And this is devastating, not just for the alpacas, but for their livelihood. And one of the problems they were having was with people who are not statistically trained, being able to look at forecasts about weather specifically, and then basically pick up the, the bat phone. I don't know what they were doing to communicate with. This is actually NASA and the Red Cross to actually get alpaca coats and whatnot out there, right? It, it was interesting. What they found was that actually untrained people who are potentially even uneducated were far more better at making accurate forecasts when they're actually looking at real distributions, not, you know, not the stuff that we tend to do in the security industry to communicate risk. Actual stuff like, you know, things look like kind of like camel lumps and things like that. And with, you know, credible intervals, whatnot, they were much better. Both the trained and untrained people were much better at making decisions 
that had life or death in this case for alpacas and for the livelihood. So I thought that was very interesting. I know it's kind of a little bit of an aside, but I, I suppose there's this prejudice that we have that people are going to be uncomfortable with seeing statistical materials. And I've, you know, here I am, guy wrote the book on it and I'm really turning a leaf, but it's also being asked for. People want this data. People who are doing credit want this data. People who are doing insurance want this data. Executives want this data presented in a way that, you know, it retains our uncertainty without obscuring our certainty. At this point, typically when I'm talking publicly, I then say PS die, heat maps die, but I won't say that here. (laughs) You're talking about kind of a shift that you're starting to see of wanting to know more of the story and giving more space and airtime to understand it and really having those that are more familiar with it, wanting to lead in and giving an opportunity to those that do this to help to defend what's going on within the business and also help to inform strategic opportunities. I would say this, I want to make sure I did this point. I might've made it unclear because this is why I told the alpaca story is that a, there is industry drivers that are requiring re- reporting where we understand impact is money as a range of loss and probabilities. I mean, if you look at standards, you're, you're seeing that it's all, it's all in there. There is a belief or a mythology, at least historically that executives and untrained people are allergic and get the heebie jeebies. If you start using statistical language and, or, goodness forbid you show a curve distribution. They're like, Ooh. there isn't a lot of support in the research. The research actually is actually the exact opposite, that people are actually able to make better risk decisions with what's been used in the past 100 plus years in statistics. Go figure. I guess these engineers, life scientists, physicists, you know, et cetera, actuaries, maybe they know something about presenting uncertainty. Exactly. Well, and and Mark, I'm sure that is a, a lot of what you're seeing as well. And so one other thing we were talking offline, the three of us, was about how people, processes, and technology are all used to help to project real loss. And so would love to hear both of your thoughts on that. You know, Rich, start with you. What do you mean by that? You know, how can people be able to predict or project losses? So there's two sides of the coin. Previously, I was talking about, you know, risk and, you know, forecasts, enterprise risk level sorts of things. That's what my first book deals with, by the way, where you're confronting, you know, kind of irreducible uncertainty. Like you have this big black box, which is an enterprise and it's third and fourth parties. How do you go about, you know, forecasting probable future loss, right? And all that stuff. And so my my first book covers that. But the reality is uh, from an operational perspective as an, as a CISO or as a, as a risk leader, I'm in the business of deploying capabilities. So I got systems made up of capabilities. So I'm hiring people, I'm buying technology and, and building processes out. So part of my job as an operational leader now, there's a risk leader and operational leader is to be able to understand are my capabilities that I've deployed, you know, are they scaling? Meaning over time, as we measure over time, are they keeping up with the volume of risk that my business is creating? So successful businesses are in the business, if they're successful, exposing more value to more people through more channels at higher velocity. If you're successful, you, you should be doing it because you want to make more money, right? And then on the other side, you have bad guys who are in the business of, you know, stealing your shorts and getting really good at that. And here we are, we sit in the middle of security. So we have these volumetric kind of activities happening on either side of us. And I'm I'm spending money and, and doing things. I want to know, are my controls, are they scaling? Are they working? So we're in the business, we're really, in the, from a metrics perspective, operational metrics, we're in the business of measuring our capabilities. Are they, are they scaling? Or if they're deficient 
if they don't meet our risk tolerance, we discover that through measurement. You know, can I can I measure that they're actually accelerating to the goals they need to meet, or am I decelerating? So that's kind of, that was the conversation we had. And I don't mean to get overly technical, but that's the other side of the coin. So you have the risk side, the big black box, and then you have the operational side where you actually have telemetry coming from your systems, and you're trying to measure. And so they can; those two things can really work together. Meaning, you can actually then have your risk, what was a big black box, irreducible uncertainty. You can start having that be informed by empirically, mathematically unambiguous and auditable data. It's not a complete story, still, but it's a lot better. So, yeah. So I write a lot of this stuff and think about it all day long. So it's interesting to me. I don't know if it is to anyone else. It resonates with me, actually, because that was definitely a lot of what we heard about, like wanting to have a seat at the table about how risk like a CISO can support the business in the growth that they're looking to drive. And in order to do that, they felt like they needed to bring more to the table than a heat map or a one to five scale or trust me, we need to go work on this area or put resources in this area. And kind of risk quantification was starting to kind of help provide a little bit more empirical understanding about like, okay, I see where we want to go. I I have a better understanding about where we are now. And I can therefore kind of join the conversation about what resources or where I need to devote my attention to support where the business needs to go. And then you you have that seat at the table that I think a lot of CISOs are, are looking for and are required to have these days. Right. Yeah. I want to be able to say if someone, you know, let's say, audit committee says, hey, Rich, you know, great presentation at the board. Uh, we'd like to meet with you for three hours. Typically, that's, you know, that would give any CISO the, the McBurps. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen now? But I want to be able to have that conversation and say, hey, look, this is maybe I, goodness forbid, I shared a heat map. And, you know, an upright corner is the maroon bleeding square with, with 10 things in it that I say, now we're going to work on those things. I should be able, even if I do that, and people, listen, Hey, I like risk art just as much as the next guy or gal. So, you know, if I present that, I want to be able to, you know, say, but here, here's how we're rank ordering things. And this is, this is why it's based on a return on controls. And we've taken into consideration our, you know, value risks, state of controls, you know, our capabilities. And while we don't know everything, we know something. And based on that, that's why we're making these investments. We're using a consistent ruler or measurement stick to understand this. Does it mean that we're absolutely empirically going to lose this much money in the future and we're going to write a check? No, I don't know that. But I'm being consistent, right? I'm being accurate with some precision, but mostly accurate. I'm being consistent about how I go about measuring things and trying to reduce any sort of arbitrariness so I can make the best bet possible. That's the outcome that I'm shooting for. And listen, that's what people do in sales. That's what your sales leaders do. By the way, when they go and you know, at Logicate, that's what they do. They do some sort of forecast and they kind of rank order things based on the, but they don't know, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And this is what your CFO does. This is what everyone else does with this stuff. And we get to as well. I love that. Now, is that what you'd mentioned your books? And many of us know that you're a um, published author on the, on the topic at hand, but is that what inspired you? Or tell us a little bit about inspired you to put pen to paper, share these thoughts with the broader audience. I may have said this in our last talk, but one of my favorite quotes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and boredom is its father, right? And so I was at Kaiser Permanente, largest health maintenance organization in the US, just big company. And I was in there. I started there early on just running quarterly management, which is with hundreds of thousands of assets and expanded to GRC, data science and all this, you know, pen testing and all that jazz. What I was getting back from my assessment folks, these are pen testers, AppSec folks, whatnot, was, you know, great 
industry leading cats, right? And I'm getting this information back and it was very inconsistent and it was obvious. And listen, Kaiser had things that, you know, people put their bodies into and they, things they put into their bodies and everything in between. And it, and we're talking about literally, this is critical infrastructure. And so I was like, gosh, this just doesn't feel good. I kind of feel like Billy Bean. Billy Bean's like, we're losing a lot. This doesn't feel good. It's going to be some better, you know, open A's, you know, Billy Bean. Moneyball, and so I like him. I start, you know, prone to wander. I started looking at people outside of, typically outside of technology, who were dealing with a lot of uncertainty. Where they were, I ran into people I'd call measurement experts. You know, people doing again statistical physics, life sciences, actuarial stuff, reading broadly, meeting field folks, and that's how I ran across Doug Hubbard. And listen, Doug didn't invent the methods that he pushes for that now, now have influenced FAIR and other things like that. Now, FAIR found its roots in his first two books. He just provided a, a better API for the rest of us to understand how to use these uh, methods to make better uh, measurement. So that's kind of my path and how I got here. And I just really, I like the problem space and I think it's very needful. And I do, it's, I don't know, it's a kind of a magical mystery tour. I enjoy it. Uh, what can I say? And so I wrote, I've written a second book because also I'm a masochist. And so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> what, what, will, what could we expect from that book? Oh, I think most of the people who really enjoyed my first book will be profoundly disappointed in this one. It, this one is awful. It's probably 40% code. It's probabilistic programming and it's hardcore Bayesian stuff. I mean, there's some fun narratives and history, and then it just gets right into sadness with really hard, hard to think about stuff. So I, you know, I expect that, that I expect a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people will buy it, having expecting it to be kind of like the green book, relatively easy. And then they'll start reading and it'll be like smooth sailing. Then boom, I, I jest a lot, but you know, it is, it is readable for those who are concept only readers. But if you are, it's not that kind of girlfriend or not that kind of boyfriend, you've got to spend all your time with it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. Not for the faint of heart. You really want to be, be a student of the subject, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I excuse, please excuse me for all the mistakes. You know, I'm a, I'm a statistical API user, but I'm not a statistician, but we do, we do our best. So what's next for you? So you're pouring your thoughts into this really interesting new book that some will value and need and others that will be educated on maybe a new topic, a new way of looking at this, but what are some other things that you're working on right now? What's going on in your career trajectory, your life? You know, realize that we thought our first book was going to be hated. It's, long gangly title, pea green cover, you know. We knew that its value starting at page 100 was really good for pressing flowers. So we knew that for sure, but we didn't realize it's one of the best selling security books ever, right? I mean, I mean, and, and, and we didn't plan that, you know, just like Led Zeppelin didn't plan Stairway to Heaven to be great. Now I'm sorry, making a false comparison, but I don't know if this book will be hate or not. So I suspect that it will. And so my career will be in answering a lot of hate mail and tweets for uh, several months. That'll be kind of what I'll be doing. I'm going to go do some sort of CISO gig. I sold my company. And so I'm now, you know, guy at large and doing, I do a lot of advisory work with startups, still do a lot of training on quantitative stuff as well, but I probably will end up, you know, going back to some CISO gig. The things that I have that seem to come my way are definitely more along the, the quantitative side of things, companies that are really, you know, heavy into data science, typically big, they have big, massive data platforms, and they're looking for people who who kind of can play in that space fluently. So, yeah. 
Well, Rich, I am glad that our paths crossed. I think it's around this common interest of risk quantification. I know, Mark, you dedicate a lot of your daytime and probably (laughs) weekend time thinking about this subject as well. Mark, tell us a little bit about the work that you and the Logigate team have been working on as well. Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, researching this for a good year, year and a half now, and not actually looking at this from should we should we build risk quantification like it was far more an understanding about how do we help our customers make better risk-informed business decisions. And it involved a lot of conversations with a lot of people like Richard, people in the practice, analysts, experts in the industry. And again and again, we heard this kind of same story around an ad hoc kind of accumulation of information from various systems to go and stand up in front of the board or their boss and kind of make the case for we need resources for this. We need to buy a tool for this. We need to strengthen controls in this area. And so risk quantification, we felt, was like one of the most important first steps we could help our customers take towards being able to have that conversation from a more kind of educated and solid footing, really. But we definitely see it as a stepping stone and not the end of the journey. So we've built we've built risk quantification into the platform it's using the FAIR model right now, but the, it's the beginning of a journey towards helping our customers use the risk cloud from LogiGate to kind of pull, the, pull these various sources of information together to use risk quantification and to be able to present that in a format to whoever the consumer is in a way that makes sense for the business decisions that they're making. And I think we already have a lot of that information in our platform from how customers use us today. Risk quantification is a really important next step in that journey. And we're, we're, we're constantly iterating and, and moving down that path towards helping our customers make better risk-informed business decisions. And that that's really what a big portion of our product team is focused on and researching. And it's been an exciting journey so far. I think we've all learned a lot. We get to speak to people like Richard and, and others. And uh, it feels like the way that, that the industry needs to go. And we're excited to be to be a part of that journey. For the millions of fans listening, they didn't pay me or ask me to say this, but the way I got connected with Logigate, every place I've been has has had at least one GRC, one type or another. And they were all, you know, they were all mostly sad and disappointed because they didn't, the businesses where I was, they just didn't scale because of the, the really the data model and the, the, the platform approach. And the world's changed, right? Now, you know, we get great things in the cloud that's, you know, auto scaling and whatnot, but there's an expressivity and power that's necessary in GRC because we're dealing with, you know, every company is a snowflake, right? And you're dealing with different sorts of architectures, your different concepts of assets with different levels of decomposition and how they relate one another. Now you have third party and fourth party risk. So you have this, you know, this, what I'd call really a network graph of complexity that's changing and expanding and undulating. And so you, as a, as a risk leader, particularly, you know, in the, as to the Fortune 10, all the way down to, you know, you know, growth companies, I really wanted something that would, that could handle the legacy, but also accommodate more cloud native sorts of asset concepts as well. And so what I found out about Logigate is that they were taking a graph-based approach to how they you know, understand things. Then when you overlay with that more of the probabilistic sorts of stuff or quantitative risk management, to me, it, it seemed like, you know, directionally, you know, if I were to take what was a brownfield market and reinvigorate it, this is the approach that I would take. So we started talking because I was just, you know, excited and nerd 
you're right. And wanted to, you know, chat. So they didn't ask me to say this, but I just think that that's, I think that, and in fact, if you were to look at, if you look at my first book and go way past their first areas for pressing flowers and get to the latter chapters, I get into energy and, you know, data marketing and whatnot. But I talk about how you would want to add probabilistic programming and whatnot into how you do your BI and whatnot. And that was using kind of old, this I wrote the book five years ago, that was using, you know, dimensional modeling, right? Ideally, it would have, and I didn't write about it because no one cared at the time, we were using graph stuff, but the graph approach absolutely is the correct way if you're really into modeling to doing this. So I just, you know, encourage those of you who are out there who are who have experienced sadness with your ability to model, right, risk using a GRC to, to give logic gate a shake. I had a chance to look at the early risk quant solution as well and the, the visual domain specific language, the draggy droppy stuff that they have. And it really does seem quite accessible. Despite all the nerd stuff I said before, it actually looked very, very accessible. So yeah, I just wanted to share that because they didn't, they didn't tell me to say that. I'm just a nice guy. Not a paid commercial. Well, Rich, I appreciate that. Most, I appreciate it because of the lens in which you're coming. You literally wrote the book on it. You study it. You're a student of this space. Mark, you work on this product day in and day out. And having both your perspectives here, just to share a little bit about where the market is, where it's been, and where it could be going, I think is, is valuable for all of our listeners today. So Rich and Mark, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of GRC and Me. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Okay. And to learn more about Risk Cloud Quantify, check out the Definitive Guide to Risk Quantification ebook. It's located in the Resource Center at logicgate.com. So until next time, this is Megan V with GRC and me.